Welcome. Thanks for joining me. My name is John Posh, and this is episode number three of the Metrosense MRI Safety Talks podcast series. Back with me today is Amanda Garlock. Amanda is the Supervisor of Quality, Training, and Safety at Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett, Washington, and was part of the first U.S. team to manage COVID patients. Back with me today is Amanda Garlock. Amanda is the Supervisor of Quality, Training, and Safety at Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett, Washington. Amanda was part of the first U.S. team to manage COVID-19 patients. Amanda was my co-host for Episode 1, where we discussed MRI safety and COVID-19. In today's podcast, we'll discuss and answer the large volume of questions we received during the original podcast. To improve flow and discussion, we've grouped the questions into a few key categories to make things a little easier on us. Those categories are MRI safety, infection control, clinical practices, cleaning, and personal protective equipment. So Amanda, let's start with MRI safety. Um, There were a bunch of questions, but they all sort of uh, came into a few key categories. So the first focused on masks. What's your current thinking regarding the safety of face masks in MRI? Uh, so with our with the safety of face masks, um, we have our staff that um, are utilizing um, a variety of masks. Of course, we have universal masking going on right now. Um, most of which we are actually um, for the universal masking. We have staff use, uh, using some form of ear loop mask. Um, without the metal nose piece in it. Um, If we do have a COVID patient down, of course, we are using um, an N95 uh, mask if they are um, an intubated patient or if we have the risk of um, doing something with an intubation such as an anesthesia case. Um, But other than that, we're just using your standard N95 masks um, for those folks if we have those or the universal masking. Um, But really. Patients are coming in masked as well, um, and most of those patients have uh, masks from home. So <laughs> with those, we've actually had to start checking their face masks uh, to make sure that with those homemade masks, they don't have anything uh, unusual in there. So we've been using um, magnets to test their face masks um, for anything that could be contraindicated to going into the system. Um, But that's really kind of where we're at as far as masking. And it's really down to hospital policy and protocol. The hospital is not allowing anybody into the facility without a face mask. Um, Anybody in a clinical area has to wear a face mask currently. So um, we're really starting to go through the face face masks. Oh, it makes good sense. Um, How about um, you're you're testing them all with magnets? Obviously, that's a good use for a a ferromagnetic detection system as well, because sometimes a staple can be pretty small. Uh, and I know staples are one of the the materials that some people at home are using to secure straps. Um, have you had any issues with artifacts from any of the N95s with nose braces or or metal uh, uh, fit fit pieces? Uh, not yet, um, but we haven't run into that where uh, the scans that we've been doing um, haven't required uh, an N95 or any mask that has had a metal nose piece in it. Okay, good. Um, are you aware of any any PAPR systems or anything that are safe to use in MRI? Not yet. So as of right now, none of the PAPR systems that we have come across are even uh, close to being conditional. So it's all reliant on those battery packs. And um, as of right now, there's there's not a battery pack that's conditional to go into zone four. So that makes the entire system inoperable in zone four. Yeah. And I don't imagine anyone's going to do the, the, uh, the burden of testing and labeling and getting it through the FDA, which is really the only reason 
or the only way it could be used safely in there anyway. So, um, and then lastly, with respect to MRI safety, are, are you aware uh, if any of the UV light sterilization systems can be used in Zone Four um, to assist with cleaning? Again, I haven't seen any that have been tested in Zone Four. Um, I am my facility is not fortunate enough to have um, any of those systems available to us to even look at. Um, so, but I am not aware of any system that has the availability of a UV light uh, capability in Zone Four. Yeah, and it simply seems to me that with a power source and uh, the the way they work, I'd be concerned about any of those going into Zone Four to begin with. Um, Absolutely. So excellent. So let's move on to infection control. Infection control is where there was um, understandably um, a lot of questions. And again, rather than answer every question, what I've done is I've sort of consolidated them into themes to make life a little easier because there there were a lot of questions. We had well over 130 questions. Um, Firstly, should uh, facilities delay um, scanning COVID patients until the end of the day and then group them all back to back or cohort them together? Not necessarily till till the end of the day. It's all about the flow for the facility. So um, I would just recommend that the facility find out the best placement for those COVID patients and then group them and cohort them into that place. So um, if they're going to have the best ability to um, do a cleaning at a certain time of the day, then I would cohort the patients right before that availability for cleaning and then get those patients done before they have that availability for cleaning um, so that they have the staffing and assistance and whatnot. Um, it's all about making sure that you've got the flow and availability. Um, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot by cohorting patients to a time that's going to be inconvenient for your staff or for the department. Um, but absolutely, when you do have known COVID patients or patients that are PUI, which is persons under um, suspicion, then you do want to have um, them cohorted together. Definitely make it easy on yourself for disinfection. It does make some sense, although waiting till the end of the day when your your staff is is at a lower staffing level, um, again, seems like it, it has to be facility based, not really. A, a general rule. So next, there were some questions about the bore fan. Um, several people asked, should the bore fan be disabled when scanning COVID patients to minimize the spread of droplets? This is going to be a balancing act. So you do want to minimize your spread of droplets, but if you have your patient mask, that's one thing, but you also want to keep your patient comfortable and you want to reduce the potential for your heat and your patient burns while the patient is inside the magnet having a scan. Um, so you do want to keep that patient comfortable while they're in there. And if they are a COVID patient, they might be a little, have a little bit of an elevated temperature. So they're, you got to take that into consideration, um, with the heating as well. Um, you might want to keep it down, um, while they're scanning, but definitely when you go to clean the room, you turn it off. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's a balancing act, but, um, It was was kind of my thought as well, because what, one of the things that concerns me about disabling the fan, um, it's, it's about comfort, but it's also a safety device, right? You know, air movement is important for patients in there, especially patients who are thermoregulatory impaired or running a fever. 
um, maybe having some respiratory issues. They're wearing a mask already, which sort of increases airway resistance. Um, I think I think that fan is going to be an important safety device at this point. Yeah, it's much more than your droplets. Um, you know, uh, droplet patients are definitely a lower risk than your airborns. So um, at this point, you know, the droplets aren't going to go very far anyway. You're going to have to do a cleaning on it. Just have your fan on during the exam. It, definitely turn it off if you have to clean the room for a terminal clean. That way, the, anything that is in the room settles and doesn't circulate throughout the room. Um, but, you know, while the patient is in the exam, um, unless they explicitly tell you to turn it off for some reason, which is very rare, um, have that fan on for that patient. Yeah, I'm not sure many patients have ever asked to have that turned off. Can I have less air, please? Um, <laughs> so several people uh, asked how they know or how they could find out the air cycle or air handling turnover time of their scan room. you have thoughts on that? That is a conversation uh, for you and your facilities team because they, uh, they have that ability to get you that information. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. It seems like a biomed or a... Uh, someone else's thing. I, I've never really had that discussion in, in 30 years of clinical MRI, but uh, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be having that discussion going forward. Um, I have found out through um, my last couple of weeks and bouncing around through some different roles that your facilities team will find out the air circle time, circulation time in almost every room in the hospital. At this point, yeah. Well, and that segues us really nicely into the next question or topic um, people were asking, is it, is it, is it standard or is it even usual to have a HEPA filter system in place for an MRI room or can it be added? Again, that's a conversation for your, um, biomed and your facilities folks. You know, it's, it's, it was, it's interesting. I've been reading a little bit about it online and, uh, you know, the, the problem with the HEPA filter add-ins. So you can, you can add a HEPA grade filter to replace an existing filter that you may have. But if your air handling capacity is not high enough to drive the increased resistance through there, um, it can actually lead to more problems. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I, I think that MRI suites are not traditionally designed to, to be infection control areas, which, again, leads us to the next topic of, you know, is it do I have a negative or positive pressure room for MRI? And some rooms I have been in have been positive pressure and some rooms um, are negative pressure. Um, every room that almost every room that I've been around is re required to have that little emergency hammer so that you can break it in case of a quench so that you can get through the glass. It, it all depends on your hospital's design, but you can check by the, the door swing on your um, vault door. Some doors will swing in, some doors will swing out. Um, but that even that does not a guarantee of whether or not your room is positive or negative pressure. Um, again, this is going to be a follow up with your biomed guys to find out exactly what the pressure in your room is if you are positive or negative pressure. Another question was about with regard to inpatients coming down, should um, nurses be trained to position the patients so that the techs can spend less time in the room? Um, I thought that was a really interesting question. And I have some pretty strong opinions there, but I wanted your opportunity to answer that as well. So I've seen this question pop up not only in MRI, but um, in x-ray. Um, and I've seen where there are some facilities that are utilizing nurses in positioning um, the uh, detectors behind some patients for chest x-rays so that the techs can stay outside the room and shoot through glass doors. Um, 
I, I have some very strong feelings about this. Um, positioning is crucial in MRI. We all know this. <laughs> um, and um, how, one, how much training are you going to be able to give how many different floor nurses on positioning and MRI um, to make them effective in a very short period of time? Um, that you're going to trust to position that patient without you having to go in there and check anyway. Um, and if you're going in there, why don't you just position the patient? Cause it'll be faster. <laughs> uh, um, I, that's exactly where my, my mind went to. And then the first thing that of course always pops into my mind is how do we know they're positioned properly? How do we know they're not, there's not skin to bore contact, skin to skin contact, exactly. conductive loops. Um, you know, they just, they just don't know. Yeah. So much that goes into beyond positioning the patient. Yes, they might get the position correct, but again, you touched on, you know, is there skin to skin contact? Is there loops? Is there skin to bore contact? Um, do are they creating some form of circuit between a f their fingers? Are their fingers crossed? Are their legs crossed? I mean, there's there's so many things that we check and that we verify when we are positioning a patient. Don't bother training a nurse. Do yeah. it yourself. It that was my concern as well. Is it, so much less time. Um, and we're just, the professionals. We own it. We, we you know, I, I, it's not desirable. No one wants to be around an infected patient. Um, but, uh, you know, as a professional, this is what we do. And, and we have to take the appropriate steps to protect ourselves and our coworkers. But we're responsible for the care of that patient in my mind. So are you doing anything for the the emphasis was on air quotation, special employees, like those who may be immunocompromised or pregnant? Um, no, um, they are still at work and they are still scanning. The individual modalities might be um, self-regulating. It might be keeping them away from highly active cases, but the as far as the supervisory staff, we have not given them directives otherwise. The system itself has said that if they feel that they are in an unsafe situation, that they can request accommodations, but we actually haven't had staff request accommodations. So the next question is, um, and you kind of answered this already, it's should we just assume every patient has COVID and make them all wear masks? And I believe just a little bit ago, you said no one gets into a clinical area unless they're wearing a mask anyway. So Correct. it seems to me like, the, and, and it makes good sense, right? With a with a long incubation period and asymptomatic transmissions in some cases, um, you know, just taking temperatures and you know how do you feel today seems like it could be a risky prospect. So therefore, masks on everybody makes a lot of sense. Yep, um, masks on everybody, masks on clinical staff, uh, masks on people walking into the facility, um, and even masks on non clinical staff. We nobody walks the hallways without a mask on anymore. Um, you know, we have either um, we have specific masks for clinical areas and then you can wear your fabric mask or um, a homemade mask in non-clinical areas. But if you're seeing a patient, then we do ask that you wear a clinical mask. Um, but everybody is masked in public areas. And nobody goes without a mask. Good. So, um, you know, CDC has added a multitude of symptoms and to their roster to include headaches, body aches, general malaise, 
sudden joint pain. I mean, it's it's just become crazy as to what now that we are actually asking employees for on a daily basis. So the last question for MRI safety, um, and it, I'm not sure it's an MRI safety question, but this is where it was grouped, so we're going to go ahead and run with it. Do you have any recommendations for what techs should do before going home to their families? Um, this is, it's very personal. Um, and it's personal because I don't know what you do in your clinical area and how meticulous you are in the clinical area. I have some people who, um, depending on who they're going home to, um, I have some folks who go home to type one diabetics, uh, diabetic children. And so they are very meticulous about how they go home. They change their shoes before they leave the building. Um, they change their, their car. They, when they get home, they go in through their garage and they have a spare set of clothes waiting for them in the garage. They take a shower before they hug their kids. Um, and then I have some people like myself who are more in the administrative area where I don't see patients. Um, and I'm not in an active um, environment where I see patients. Yes, I go into the facility, but I don't ever interact with um, you know positive folks. So, you know, I don't necessarily take nearly the strong strong type of precautions. I you know change my shoes and whatnot, but I don't have to strip down and take a shower before I see my my family. So, um, it all depends on what you're what you're doing and the level of patience that you see that day. If you've had somebody who's coughing in your face because they didn't have a mask on and then they weren't properly protocoled as being a COVID patient, and then you find out an hour later that they were a COVID patient, then you might want to go home and take a shower before you hug your significant other or children. But um, it all depends on on who you see that day and uh, the level of precautions that were taken when you were seeing them. Okay. Thank you. So next category is clinical. <clears throat> this deals with, you know, clinical patients, clinical workflow, things of that nature. So firstly, how do we know which COVID patients need to be scanned and which can wait? This is a tough one because, um, as we all know, MD is not the initials behind our name. Um, we have RTs behind our name. And this is where we get the conversation involved with our radiologists. And hopefully you have a very wonderful <laughs> uh, relationship with your radiologist. And if you truly believe that an exam is being ordered on a COVID patient that is unnecessary for some reason because their toe hurts and they're here for a stroke, then maybe that one can probably wait. Um, you know, you have to look at the reason for exam, the reason for admission, if they're an inpatient, um, and then you have that conversation and then it becomes a physician to physician conversation and you try to stay out of that, but it really needs to be a physician to physician conversation. Anything beyond that is a medical decision. And that is really outside of our scope of practice. So we really need to be careful about trying to make those types of decisions. Um, but it is in our best interest to try to protect our patients. Um, you know, that are upstairs and that are also outside in our waiting room if we have outpatients and we do need to protect them both. So that again, have those conversations with your radiologist and let them make those decisions with the other physicians. So the next question is, what about designating one scanner as a COVID only and using the other scanners for routine patients? If you're lucky enough to have two scanners, May the force be with you. That's what I thought, too. Um, this question was obviously from someone who has a larger facility. 
you know, granted, I'm in a facility that has, we have three. We have one that's a dedicated outpatient scanner. I have a 3T in my facility, and I also have a 1.5 in my facility. Unfortunately, I have exams that are dedicated to magnets. So I can't designate a magnet as a COVID magnet or a non-COVID magnet because I have exams that are dedicated to a 3T magnet or a 1.5T magnet. You know, it all becomes protocol based at that point. You know, I have neuro exams that I have to do on a 3T. I have MSK exams that I have to do on a 1.5 or body exams that I have to do on a 1.5. I can't do them on a 3T. So, um, you know, that's something that you also have to take into consideration if you do have multiple magnets. Yeah. First world problems. I know. Um, So the next question is sort of a two-parter. Should we restrict the number of staff that are working um, when a COVID patient is at the scanner? And if we reduce the staffing to one tech only, will that violate the ACR um, guidelines? Considering ACR guidelines have just been updated, um, and they do are they are now, I believe, recommending two, or at least having another one within earshot. Yes, that would be considered a violation, uh, or at least having an a level two trained personnel within earshot. This is staff driven at a facility level based upon your need. So I can't say what hospital B and their needs are going to be versus hospital C down the road and their needs are going to be. It's all based upon what their volumes are, um, what their internal needs are, what their staffing needs are, what their budget looks like. Um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts that go into this. And I hate to say that, but being on the administrative side of things, I've seen what this has done to, you know, all sides of this equation. And it is not pretty. So the next category is cleaning. And you can imagine the questions that come in around cleaning. Um, They all involve, you know, process and times and things like that. So starting off, um, how long is the room left idle before um, performing a terminal clean after a COVID patient? So there's been some debate on this process. Um, And the debate is, do you let the room sit idle before you do the terminal clean? Um, or do you let the room or do you do the terminal clean and then let the room sit idle in our facility? We let the room sit idle. Then we do the terminal clean and you let the room sit idle so that any particles left in the air settle before you do the terminal clean. Um, and then that way you're, you're guaranteeing that you don't have anything that's active settling after you do a cleaning. Um, in our facility, our air cycle time Um, we have about a half an hour before we have to do a terminal clean. So um, that's how long our room is left idle. Downstairs in our CT room, we would have to leave the room idle for 69 minutes. Mm. Two-parter again. Who is doing the terminal cleaning in zone four and how long does that terminal clean process take? Uh, The terminal clean in zone four is being undertaken by our MRI technologists. And a good solid terminal clean um, done by two technologists usually takes about 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. Um, Are you using a different product for routine cleaning between patients and terminal cleaning? Uh, As far as my knowledge, no. They're using the gray tops and um, then on the surfaces, they're using the bleach. The only difference is that um, during a terminal clean, during a traditional clean, they're using the gray tops on 
um, you know, the pads, the inside of the bore and whatnot. And when we do a full terminal clean, we use the bleach on the outside surfaces. But during a standard clean, we're not wiping down the entire room. Um, we're only doing that during the terminal clean and the end of the day cleanings. So you're not doing a terminal clean between all patients, just COVID patients? Just COVID patients. Okay. Have you modified your zone four in anticipation of contamination cleaning issues? For example, emptying cabinets or plastic sheeting, et cetera? I've seen people talk about plastic sheeting and it <laughs> makes me giggle. Um, we have, we, we've cleaned off countertops um, and we've tried to make zone four as clean and pristine as possible so that there's as few things to get dirty um, in on the shelves or on the countertops so that when we do have to do a terminal clean, there's less to clean, less to get contaminated. Um, plastic sheeting just doesn't seem like a very good barrier and it just seems like more to get dirty. Yeah, no, just pull the stuff out of the room if it's not needed. Plus the concern with plastic sheeting in my mind is when you have to pick it up, then you're flinging anything that might be on it. So I Everything it's like, it's like, goes it's everywhere. It's like touching your, your face shield, you know? It, it, yeah. It's just an opportunity for that to become a vector of more stuff. Yeah, and then you got to drag it out in the hallway, and it's just not a good so, idea. So last category is PPE. Um, uh, and again, I think you discussed this a little bit already, but let's go through a couple of key points here just so that we reinforce those. What PPE are you mandating for MRI personnel scanning COVID patients? They're scanning COVID patients. Um, if they are just a standard COVID patient, they will wear um, face shield and a mask, uh, non-N95 for any active COVID patient. The full face shield is all plastic, so um, and it covers all the way down to their throat, so it covers their regular mask. Um, if they don't have a full face shield, they have to wear goggles or um, a mask with a full face shield on it. They can't just wear yeah. glasses. If they are scanning an airborne risk COVID patient, then they have to wear the N95 and the face shield. So if they're doing um, either um, an intubated patient, um, even though the intubation system itself is closed because we all know that those intubation systems are a little flimsy sometimes because they're portable, um, or if we're doing an intubation uh, through anesthesia, they have to use um, the N95. And then they wear a gown and gloves. Now, I'm, I'm presuming, uh, one of the questions is, are you reusing masks and face shields? And I would presume at this point, the answer is probably yes. So the question is, the segue to the question is, what is the best way to clean your masks and face shields between uses if you're reusing them? Uh, face shields, the shields that we have issued um, are cleaned with gray tops. So they are um, able to be cleaned with gray tops. So they are cleaning them that way. And then we are actually utilizing um, Medline and they are recycling our um, ear loop and surgical masks. Um, and they are taking them um, and putting them through a seven step or not, sorry, sorry, not seven step, a five-step sterilization process and then bringing them back to the facility. If I'm scanning a COVID patient, should I remove my mask while scanning and replace it before re-entering the room? If you're scanning a COVID patient... I think the question is, should you take off your PPE while you're at the console? Uh, please take off your gloves and don't touch my console with your nasty gloves. Yeah, I think anytime you take off your, your face mask, you're just touching... A potentially contaminated surface. So 
Uh, I think the best option in my mind is let it be, you know, wear it until that patient is gone and then, uh, you know, send it for cleaning and use a new. Yeah, our our techs don't, I mean, once their face shield, once their face masks are on, their face masks are on and they kind of just leave them there. Um, but their their gloves come off because nobody touches. We have signs all over our our consoles. This is a no glove zone. Um, and we actually have a lead who will come by and like smack your hand with a ruler if she sees you wearing gloves or her console. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> so last question um, of the evening here is: uh, I wear a full beard. How can I use an N95 mask? Get yourself acquainted with a with a razor. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thoughts as well. That was my thought too. Yeah, the beard is a is a hindrance in many uh, situations. So that does it for us today with the questions and answers. Uh, thanks for tuning in to episode three of the MetroSense MRI Safety Podcast Series. Please watch for future episodes where we'll discuss all things MRI, such as safety, identifying and managing risk, accident prevention, burns, legal concerns, MRI screening, ferromagnetic detection, and physics. We also have an exciting lineup of guests that will be appearing from time to time, so please be sure to watch for us wherever you get your podcasts. For additional information, be sure to explore the MetroSense library of MRI webinars and podcasts at www.metrosense.com. As always, all content is free of charge. Thanks for listening, and a big thank you to my guest, Amanda Garlock. Peace and safety.